Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 58. And I'm going to read God's word. Would you please heed God's word? But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. And the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your, your labor is not in vain. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, hearers, doers of his holy and errant and infallible word. I need texts like this. Um, you know, when, when a man that is uh, of a certain Asian descent walks into a church on a Sunday morning and opens fires um, on another group of believers who are also of Asian descent, but for whatever reason he has pent up hatred in his heart. I need texts like this. And that happened last Sunday. Last Saturday, of course, as many of you probably are a little bit more familiar with, there was a young and troubled man, 18 years old, who into, uh, through a descent into the dark web and 4chan and 
conspiracy theories and lies and propaganda, took it upon himself to walk into a Buffalo grocery store and shoot in cold blood as he live streamed on Twitch, shooting cold blood, um, multiple people, some of them still battling for their lives, others injured, and at least 10 dead. He did it because he feared being replaced. I need texts like this during weeks like this. I need texts like this when my own wife um, is laying in bed, not able to move um, because of her own battles and illness. And thank God she is here today. I celebrate every time I get a chance to see her on Sunday mornings because I know how hard it was for for us to get here. But I need texts like this. I need texts like this because I have memories of my own losses that are still present with me, friends that I've lost, family that I've lost. Um, best, watching best friends lose and suffer. So I need texts like this, saints. We need to be reminded that our labor is not in vain. And so Paul's aim here is to remind us that our labor is not in vain by way of painting a picture of the resurrection. He does a couple of things in this text. He answers a question about the resurrection, or rather he anticipates a question about the resurrection And then he answers it. And he answers it by giving us a glimpse or picture of the resurrected body. And then he answers it by giving us a picture or glimpse of the victory that we have in that resurrected body or through the resurrection. In verse 35, he begins with that question. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. First thing you need to understand about the questions that Paul is anticipating the Corinthians that he's writing to. He's anticipating that these are the questions that are being asked by the people in Corinth. And the first thing you need to understand about that anticipation is that not only does he anticipate that these are the kind of questions that they ask, but he also anticipates that these are not innocent questions which is why Paul does not take kindly to the questions being asked. He's very sharp in his response. You know, many folks believe, scholars believe that Paul is anticipating the questions from a hypothetical group of doubters, possibly questions that he's heard, possibly even questions that this particular camp of Corinthians may have been asking. Nevertheless, Paul does not appear to see the question as sincere ignorance, but instead a little bit of mockery probably at work here. These are questions that are more than likely um, serving as subtle jabs and insults. How can dead people come back when there is nothing left from their bodies but bones and dirt? And although the Corinthian skeptics are indeed sarcastic probably at this point or in their point, they are still making a very understandable point. 
when naturally speaking, of course. Studies show that as soon as the heart stops, or science shows that as soon as the heart stops and a person dies, their, their body starts to decompose. For several weeks, the corpse will go through a very unsavory process that includes bloating and bleeding and gas passing and teeth falling out and nails falling out and liquefying of organs until eventually the body is fully decomposed. And after that, the process of skeletonizing the body will begin. It could even take up to a few years before it becomes completely skull and bones. Point being, it doesn't, it's not an attractive process. And it doesn't seem to make sense that resurrection is going to come out of it. And also, it doesn't take long before the body seemingly becomes useless and very unappealing. So Paul appears to be anticipating that some are asking, how can a resurrection happen when there is nothing left to bring back? And why would we want to bring back what we become when we go back to the dirt. So Paul offers a response. The first response, a picture of the resurrected body, he begins by simply saying, you fool. That's probably a more accurate rendering, by the way. You know, the ESV, they're trying to be a little polite. Oh, foolish person, you know. CSB is like, you fool. There's other translations that are more, probably more accurate with what Paul is getting to. You fool. Takes you back to Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, where it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable, de uh, abominable deeds, and there is none who does good. In Psalm 14 and 1, the word fool is spoken to highlight the pride in someone who refuses to believe that they are accountable to someone greater than them and that they will one day answer to that one. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36, the word fool probably is being used in a similar way but it's being used to highlight the pride in someone who refuses to believe that the creator God that produced every living creature, known and unknown, past and present and future, can somehow be limited by the mechanics of science and unable to climb over the hurdle of human decomposition to produce new resurrected beings. The craziest question that we can ask a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present, a God who transcends time and location, a God that cannot be exhausted and who never tires, the craziest question that we can ask that God is how can a thing happen? The God who is able to create in what the Latin we call ex nihilo, that is bringing something from nothing. The God that is not remotely bothered by creating things out of pure nothing. That God is not remotely bothered by hows. And Paul says it is only foolishness, basically, that drives us to question his power to do a thing when our imagination can't conceive it. How can you do such a thing? Because I can't understand how you could do it. So Paul sets out to respond to this skepticism in a number of ways. The first way he responds to this skepticism is by pointing to the connection or the similarities that resurrection has to plant life. 
1 Corinthians, again, 15, verse 36, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So to better help us grasp God's design and power in the resurrection of the saints, Paul first pulls out the natural example of seed. Now, technically speaking, seeds don't die in order to become plants or vegetation that they later become. But the idea here that Paul is trying to trying to paint, or the picture that Paul is trying to paint for us is that every seed that goes in the ground will be radically changed before it bursts forth out of the ground. You know, the giant sequoia tree is one of the most glorious trees in all of nature. These trees can grow 300 300 feet tall. And they can span out their branches and and brush and leaves. They can span out 60 feet wide, 300 feet tall, 60 feet wide. That's about the size of this room in terms of width. The lifespan of the tree can extend up to, well, it's not the size of this room. I'm sorry, it's a little smaller. It's close, though. The lifespan of the tree can expand up to 3,000 years. And yet, you know how it starts? Seed. 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 What goes in the ground is small. What goes in the ground is insignificant in appearance. But what sprouts forth and continues to grow is glorious and and awe-inducing. That, in a nutshell, is the resurrection. When our bodies are heading to the grave, they take very little hype with them. Typically, when our bodies are going to the grave, they are often feeble and frail. They are weak and sickly. They are aging or completely aged and rotting away. But like seeds, what the Lord promises to do with those bodies upon their return from the, from the, from the ground is glorious and beyond anything our hearts can imagine. We will be utterly and completely and instantly new. While giant sequoias take years out of the ground to reach their final state, when the Lord returns, we will reach ours in an instant. Also, take note of Paul's nod to God's sovereignty and providence in verse 38. He says in verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. God has designed that what goes into the ground and comes back out is his design. He picks it, he selects it, he orchestrates it, he guides it. And so we can take confidence in what will happen at the resurrection, not because of all the steps that are outlined for us to perfectly adhere to at our death or even during our post-death state. We can take confidence in what will happen at the resurrection, not because we have it all figured out. We can take confidence in what will happen at the resurrection because the same God who controls all development of every new body from every seed whether it, be a, uh, whether it be a giant sequoia tree or whether it be an apple tree, is the same God who will ensure our transformation to something glorious as well. Yeah. 
That's why we can take confidence in the resurrection, because of the same God who's behind it. That which awaits us is glorious, not because we have all of the steps orchestrated, but that which awaits us is glorious because God is in control of it. This is the same thing that the Sadducees missed. When Jesus was talking to the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22, and those, are, uh, those are religious followers who did not believe in the resurrection. And they missed this when they were second-guessing Jesus on the resurrection. They questioned him on all the particulars. Well, what if a person got married a couple of times in this life? Who would they be married to in the next life? Aha, gotcha, Jesus. That means resurrection can't be real, right? And Jesus answered, your doubts are misplaced first because there is no marrying in the resurrection. Sorry for anybody who thought that was the case. But more importantly... Verse 29 of chapter 22, he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures, listen, nor the power of God. You limit God's power. So Paul continues his unpacking of the resurrection by turning his attention away from plants to animals and from animals to heavenly bodies in the sky. Verse 39, it says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Paul makes a great point here. Because even when we look at the creation in its current form, we see earthly creatures have different forms one to another. We see God created some fish with, or flesh rather with wings that, that soar through the sky like the white-throated needle tail <laughs> that can fly at speeds of 106 miles per hour. I've never seen it, but I got my National Geographic on this week in preparation for my sermon. What about flesh with fins that can speed through waters at 70 miles per hour? totally different kind. God creates it. What about flesh with paws? Not like Corey's dog Zoe, but cheetahs that can run at a pace of 70 miles per hour. God created that. Some say to themselves, how can God create a body that will live forever? But even in a fallen world, saints, we have beings like the koi fish that can live well over 200 years or, or the Greenland shark that can live up to 500 years. Even the Red Sea urchin that, 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 that have, have indefinite longevity. People don't even know how long they live because they don't age. Even in a fallen world, God has created that. And so Paul's point is how impossible is the resurrection in a fully redeemed world when God already has shown his creative prowess in a fallen world? Paul not only makes his, points with, with his point with earthly bodies, though, he makes his case with the heavenly bodies. He says in verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is for one kind or is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another 
There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So Paul draws distinctions from what's here on earth versus what's in the skies. Even making distinctions between those that shine with one brightness, another glory, and others that shine with a different kind of brightness. Some scientists believe that the sun has approximately 5 billion years of life left. It's a consensus, mainly. 5 billion years. On the surface of the sun, it burns at 10,000 degrees. It's 100 times wider than Earth. And God created it. And the sun is considered, by the way, one of the medium-sized stars that he created. The largest star in the universe, the UY Skewtai, go look that one up when you get home, could literally fit billions of suns in it. And God created that. Listen, saints, the same God who created the sun is the same God who created you. The same God who created the UI skewtai is behind the birth of you from conception to canal. So it shouldn't shock you that he can do something amazing in the resurrection because he's doing so many amazing things and has been doing so many amazing things since the beginning of creation and ages before an eternity passed. The God who created the celestial bodies is not intimidated by giving you a new one. Paul further further draws out the point and more in verse 42 where he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You see, the bodies, saints, that we take into the ground are subject to decay. The bodies that come forth out of the ground, however, will never suffer decay again. The bodies that we take into the ground are subject to dishonor. They're gassy. They're, old, they're odorous. They're, they're liquefying. In fact, Leviticus 17 tells us that a priest is considered unclean if they were to touch a dead body. However, the bodies that come forth out of the ground will be raised in glory. The bodies that we take into the ground are subject to weakness. They're subject to weakness. This is the fall. No way around it. These bodies are subject to illness. These bodies are subject to sickness. These bodies are subject to pain, to suffering, to asthma, to allergies, to COVID, to heart attacks, to diabetes, to high blood pressure, to heart failures, to cancer, to transplants. But these bodies that come forth out of the ground will be raised in power. Can you just imagine that, saints? What an unbelievable, comforting thought to strengthen us. 
when gunshots are blazing in grocery stores. And that is not even all of the good news. Scripture also says that the bodies that we take into the ground are natural bodies, but the bodies that come forth out of the ground are are spiritual bodies. Now, don't think of that distinction as one that is separating the physical from the the non-physical or material from the immaterial. It is not a difference between a body that we can touch and feel versus a ghostly being. It is actually something else entirely. One scholar captures it it this way. They say that uh, the difference between the natural and spiritual body as that which is kindled by the soul versus that which is kindled by the spirit. He goes on to say that the spiritual body is a body that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and has not entered into the mind that is transformed into the likeness of Christ and that is fitted for the new age. Fitted, perfectly designed to exist in the new age. Another scholar goes farther in saying about this spiritual body, to live in a resurrected body is to experience a new mode of existence, life directed and empowered by the Spirit suitable to the age, uh, age to come in a body untainted by sin and untainted by death in any sense. Paul further highlights this point in verses 45 through 49 when he says, thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You see, the body that goes into the ground is a body that is patterned after the first Adam from the dust animated by the soul, subject to sin and temptation. However, the resurrection body is a body pattern after our resurrected Savior. Does not mean that it is not necessarily natural, but instead of just being from the dust and simply from the dust, it is now from heaven and animated by the Spirit of God. Paul basically says that what's coming forward is going to be a new composition altogether. We go to the ground, purely earthly beings, but we come forth out of the ground with the DNA of heaven. That's what's going to happen. So that's Paul's picture of the resurrected body. Now he turns to a different picture that he paints, the picture of the victory that we have through the resurrected body. Again, for those that are seemingly mocking the ideal of resurrection, Paul gives us one more response to consider. The reality that complete victory in life is coming only through the resurrection. Verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You will not inherit what's next in the current state that you are in. You will not inherit what's next in the current state that you're in. We will not inherit 
the reign of God, where true peace exists and true joy exists and complete goodness and justice and righteousness resides in the current state that we are in. Only through the resurrection will that be realized. You see, our current bodies are woefully inadequate for what is coming. Corruptible won't fit in the incorruptible kingdom. Dishonor won't fit in the glorious kingdom. Perishable won't fit in the imperishable kingdom. This past week, I was invited to um, speak on a panel about diversity and inclusion and equity by my boy, Matt. Matt Clark, for those of you all who don't know him. Um, affectionately known on occasion by Matty Ice. But I walked into the building, and when I walked into the building, Matt was at the front to greet me. And the first thing he commented on was how nice I was dressed. It's like, man, you really, you know, you really stuffed it up for this, didn't you? You know, I'm not a dress-up guy, as you may have picked up by now. But every once in a while, I'm required to wear a suit. I'm required to wear a sports coat and slacks because the standard, my standard wardrobe won't fit in the room. I can't get in the room with some of the standard gear that I have. You see, our standard wardrobe, saints, of weakness and our standard wardrobe of corruption and our standard wardrobe of perishable and our standard wardrobe of dishonor will not fit in this kingdom. And so the Lord is going to upgrade our wardrobe. In exchange for the tattered linens of weakness, he is going to grant us power. In exchange for the discolored rags of corruption, he is going to robe us with incorruptibility. Because to enjoy everything coming to us in the kingdom of God, we must undergo full and complete transformation. That's what God is going to do. Saints of God, we will carry none of our fragments of brokenness into the new heavens and the new earth. And that is a beautiful thing. It's those kind of things that allow me to sing even through the tears when I'm looking at death all around me. It's that anticipation that allows me to continue on when a kid videotapes or live streams his shootout in an African-American grocery store. Verse 51, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. must put on. Did you hear that? You can't get in unless you change. God has to change us before we enter. Standard wardrobe won't do. And so Paul gives us this unbelievable picture of the return of Christ in verse 51. He says, I tell you, mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. 
So when Christ comes, two things are going to happen. When he arrives, the people who have died before us in Christ, those who have died repenting of their sin and trusting him as Lord and Savior, they will rise regardless of their decomposed state. Regardless of what has happened before, regardless of how long they have been in the grave, they will rise. New composition, new DNA. Still physical, tangible people. They will rise in order to meet the Lord. But the second thing that's going to happen is those who are living, who have repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, as, as well as people of the first group, the dead, those who have trusted in Christ and repented of their sin and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. But the second group, the living, who have not seen sleep or who have not seen death, they will instantly be changed. Paul says, I don't know how it's going to happen. It's a mystery. But this is what I do know. It's going to happen. And when it happens, it's going to happen like that. Can you just stop and imagine and picture the scene of Jesus arriving and boom, that happens. What was once corruptible becomes incorruptible. What was once perishable becomes imperishable. What was once dishonorable becomes glorious like that. Verse 54, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? You know, we often recite verses like 54 and 50 through 56 at funerals. And I don't necessarily think that there's a whole lot wrong with that. But we recite them as a right now action. And it may be a little bit ahead of the time if you read what Paul is saying here. The final victory over death does not happen at funerals. Read verse 54 again. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is not yet swallowed up in victory. That happens when the perishable puts on the imperishable and when the mortal puts on immortality. Then, Paul says, shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Notice what 56 says. This is, the, for me, the key to all of it. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The sting of death is sin. You know, I have two really scary experiences with insects. One that involves my wife and the other that involves me. Tell you about mine first. It wasn't as scary as hers. And it's a very simple story, very quick story. I was on my way to church. On my way to church. You hear me? Going to worship Jesus. Walk out of the door, get stung in the eye. 
by a wasp. Immediately when I opened the door. Immediately when I opened the door. On my way to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I get stung in an eye by a wasp. Scared the daylights out of me. I thought my eye was gone. Of course it wasn't. You know, I mean, I was, I was good. But it was scary. I was like, oh, that's it. Eye's gone. It's over. That's it. That's the story. Second story. Far scarier. My wife is cutting grass because she's my wife like that. You just got to know her. You just got to know her. She's like warrior princess. And so she's out there. She's cutting grass. We got like several acres. She's out there cutting grass, doing her thing. Um, this is when we lived out um, in, 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 the, um, in the county. And she's cutting grass and she's weed eating. She's on a hill. She's weed eating and she's weed eating. And she feels these stings. But she thinks that it's the grass from the weed eater that's tapping her legs. And it continues to go up, up, up her leg until she realizes that she has somehow stumbled in the nest of a yellow jackets. And they are up her leg. Several, you know, several, at least a dozen or two is how many, or how many I counted as I was stumping her pants when she was running down the driveway and she took her jogging pants off as she's running down the driveway and then I'm outside stomping the pants and then we got to figure out, we got to find an EpiPen because she, you know, obviously is allergic to yellow jacket stains. She ends up going to the hospital. Very, very scary because it wasn't just one sting, it was multiple stings. Very, very scary. You know what made both of those stories extremely scary for me? The stinger. Because the stinger is where all the power is to do all the damage. If I tell you, hey, man, you know, I walked outside for church and, and this wasp bumped me in the eye. You'd be like, okay, what, what's the big deal? You know, what, what are you freaking out for, Crawford? You know, if I, if I tell you, hey, man, you know, my wife, she was cutting grass, and, man, while she was cutting grass, it was a bunch of ladybugs just tapping her, tapping her, tapping her. He'd be like, okay, Crawford, what are you bugging for? This is crazy. But the stingers, you say, ooh, I know exactly what you're talking about. The stinger of death is sin. Death's power is in the fact that due to man's sin in the garden, it is more than just a transition. All of us see, you know, many people see, okay, when I die, maybe I'm just going to go to a happier place and maybe it's going to be. No, 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 no. What makes death scary is sin. That's the stinger. There's no peaceful transition into death when sin is in existence because what that means is that death brings on eternal separation from God. That the stinger of death is sin. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what makes death scary is the stinger. But this is what makes verse 57 all the more glorious. And by the way, I, I don't have enough time to get into the power of sin being the law. There's some content in Romans 7 we can unpack, but we just don't have the time to do that. But just know that the law itself exposes sin 
and shows us where disobedience happens. And now what was supposed to serve as help to us becomes what? Burden to us. But verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean then? It means that because Jesus Christ came to earth 100% fully born, a fully man, born of a virgin, 100% fully God in order to live a perfect life and obey God's perfect law perfectly, never sinned, but still took the stinger. You ever seen a honeybee? You, ever, you, you guys know how honeybees work when they sting? And when they sting, then what, what happens to that honeybee? And, and when he's trying to pull out, snatches, snatches itself apart, basically. He dies. He dies. So here's Christ, the stinger being sin. And even though all of us deserved that stinger, Christ went to the cross for the, for the stinger. Never sinned, but took the sting of sin. And on the cross, he was stung, but he absorbed it. And when death pulled back, there was no more effectiveness. Because of Jesus Christ absorbing the stinger on your behalf. And so thanks be to God. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's point. Thanks be to God we have victory. Thanks be to God we have resurrection. Why? Because Christ absorbed the sting on our behalf. And so in light of that, Paul tells us, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, in the Lord, saints, faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of sin, in the Lord. If you are not in the Lord, then the sting of death is still real. The sting of sin, rather, is still real. And, still, and it still brings fear, and it should bring fear, and it should bring horror to your soul. But if you are in the Lord, even in the crisis, you can remain steadfast. Even in the heartaches, you can remain immovable. Even in the suffering, you can continue to abound in the work of the Lord. Persevering, why? Because everything's guaranteed to get better here? No. Persevering because you know a resurrected body awaits you. And you know that entrance into the kingdom of God is ahead. So persevere, saints, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Let's pray.